0: So this morning, we're continuing our sermon series that that I'm calling Fulfilled, and we've been working through Old Testament festivals. The Old Testament people of God were commanded in Leviticus 23 to to celebrate a number of festivals every year. So we talked about Passover and how the people were to put the blood of a lamb on their doorway to remind them that God protected them from evil. We saw how Jesus continues to protect and deliver us from evil. And then we talked about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, about this meal that shows God's people that they've been purified and brought into fellowship with Him. And we celebrated the Lord's Supper, which is a meal that shows us, that reminds us, that gives us a sign and a seal that Jesus Christ purified us and that the Holy Spirit brings us into fellowship with the Lord. We celebrated the Festival of First Fruits, where God's people brought an offering of their first fruits to the Lord. And they were reminded, and were reminded especially in Christ, that God is the one who truly provides what we need. Last week we talked about the festival of Pentecost, where we're reminded that the Lord is working out a great spiritual harvest for himself through us. Today we come to the Festival of Trumpets, and we're actually going to wrap the Festival of Trumpets in with another feast that happened close by it, the Day of Atonement. And we certainly aren't going to cover everything that can be said about this, but we'll see how those feasts also are fulfilled in Christ and what they have to say for our lives today. So to reflect on the Festival of Trumpets, we're going to be reading from Leviticus 23 and John 5. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, On the first day of the seventh month you are to have a day of rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. Do no regular work, but present an offering made to the Lord by fire. And the Lord said to Moses, The tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present an offering made to the Lord. Do no work on that day because it is the day of atonement, When atonement is made for you before the Lord your God. Anyone who does not deny himself on that day must be cut off from his people. I will destroy from among his people anyone who does any work on that day. You shall do no work at all. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. It is a Sabbath of rest for you and you must deny yourselves. From the evening of the ninth day of the month until the following evening, you are to observe your Sabbath. And then we'll turn to the New Testament and read a story from John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. We're going to start today with a question. First point is a question, and it's how do we keep a command to enjoy ourselves? How do you keep a command? How do you keep a rule to celebrate? We've probably all been in a situation where someone is trying to drum up enthusiasm and drum up a fun time for everybody at a workplace orientation or a team building event or cheerleaders when the team is behind 50 to 3, and, and they try and they try, but it just ain't working. It is really hard to celebrate on command, but yet there are people who, who try to demand that and try to get us all jazzed up, and it doesn't work. Is God like that? Is God like that? When we read this section of Leviticus, God sounds like he's telling his people they had better celebrate or else. Don't do any work, he says. Deny yourselves, he says. And anybody who doesn't fulfill this command to celebrate is going to be cut off from the people. And anybody who does any work on this day is going to be cut off from the people. If you don't have a good time, you're out. The Lord sounds like he's in a really bad mood here in Leviticus, right? He sounds like your dad on those days when it's Sunday afternoon, he's taking his ritual nap, and you've gotten louder and louder and kind of lost track of what's going on, and then you hear that thump of dad's feet hitting the floor, getting out of bed, and he comes storming into the room. You all had better be quiet. It is not time for this kind of noise. You had better be quiet, and you had better enjoy it. And how... How are you supposed to do that? How can you celebrate on command? This command and a lot of God's other commands can often feel burdensome, like we're being told to enjoy being miserable. And how can we do that, really? Well, to answer that question, we need to ask and answer a second question. Then we'll come back to this first one later in the sermon. But our second point and our second question for today is this. Do you want to be healed? Do we want to be healed? This is a question that Jesus himself asks in John 5. At the beginning of this chapter, we read that this whole story happens on a day of the Feast of the Jews. And we aren't 100% sure, but we think that this was the festival of trumpets. And that story in John opens with Jesus in Jerusalem near a pool called Bethesda. And a great number of disabled people, all kinds of sick people and injured people, used to lie there. And apparently, there was this legend or this idea that sometimes an angel would stir the waters in that pool, and then the first person who got in after the water was stirred would be, or or at least might be, healed. But of course, if you're there to get healed, you probably have a hard time moving fast. And so, it was really hard to be the first one in. And Jesus is there and he sees this particular man who has been there for 38 years. 38 years lying by this pool waiting to be healed. And Jesus asks him a question, and it sounds like an incredibly rude, obnoxious, and stupid question, really. Do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? Well, yes, he wants to be healed. That's why he's been there for the last 38 years. And the question just hardly even seems to make sense to the guy, so he doesn't actually answer the logical question that's asked, do you want to be healed? He answers a logistical question, well, why can't you get to the water? And so instead of saying, well, yes, I want to be healed, that's obvious. Instead, he says, well, I don't have the means to get there fast enough. Other people get there before me. And Jesus responds to him, Be healed. Be well. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And after 38 years of waiting around for healing, this man stands up, picks up his mat, and walks. But Jesus did this on a feast day, on a festival day, on a Sabbath. And so as this man is walking home carrying his mat, he's stopped by the religious leaders who say, You aren't allowed to do that on the Sabbath. Cut it out. And the man responds, well, the guy who healed me told me to do this. And and then there's this back and forth, and it turns out this guy who was healed doesn't even know who Jesus is. And the text tells us that Jesus had slipped away, but, but it seems like there's a hint there that part of it is the guy doesn't care. He's gotten what he needed. He's gotten his healing. He's all good. He doesn't need Jesus anymore. He doesn't even know who Jesus is and then a little bit later Jesus comes to him and says see you're well again you've been healed but stop sinning or something worse may happen to you and then right away something worse does happen to the man and he does it to himself The first thing he does when he finds out who healed him is he goes and he sells Jesus out to the religious authorities. That's the guy. That's the guy who did wrong. Go after him. I'm just an innocent bystander. That's the guy you want to go after. This man has been healed by Jesus after decades of suffering, and and the first chance he gets, he turns on the one who healed him. He's been physically healed but he's still spiritually sick, and he doesn't really seem to want to change that. Dan Ariely is an economics professor and writer now, but when Dan was a teenager, he was holding a military-grade magnesium flare one day, and it went off in his hand, and he was horribly, horribly burned years, years in the hospital, dozens and dozens and dozens of surgery to try to repair the damage and and somehow have his body be functional. And there were a number of times early on after that first terrific experience that doctors came to him and they said that hand that you were holding the magnesium flare, your your right hand, we really think we should amputate it. We're not totally sure we can save it and we are totally sure that you aren't going to have a lot of function in it from a From a health and function perspective, you're probably better off with a prosthetic arm or or even a hook. And Dan, as a teenager, really had to wrestle with that. Did he want to give up his arm? What what could he do? Did he want to hold on to it or let it go? And Dan chose to keep his arm, even against some of his doctor's recommendations. But as he reflected on that decision 20, 30 years later in writing some of his books, he still isn't sure that that was the right call. He has his hand, but he can hardly use it. He can maybe type a little bit or write a couple notes, and then he has horrible pain for hours or days. And so he wonders, was that, was that the right choice? But at the same time, he, he doesn't want to give up what's his. He feels like his identity is somehow tied up in keeping that arm. Often, we don't really want what's best for us. We get used to having parts of ourselves that we know aren't the best, but we just can't handle the thought of giving them up. We know we have parts in our lives that aren't good for us and that really we should ask God to clean out, but, but we just can't take that step, can't let go of it. We get used to our brokenness and our sickness and our sin, and we just can't let go. But we need to let go of the things that we hang on to. We need Jesus to heal us, and that's that's our third point for today. Whether we always want it or not, we need Jesus to heal us. We don't always want to be healed, but we need it. The festival of trumpets and the Day of Atonement celebrated right, right by it. They exist in part to remind God's people that they need healing. In the Old Testament, the sound of trumpets was often a call to war. And that call to worship, the call of the trumpets on the day of the festival, was about calling God's people to spiritual battle. A reminder that the Lord is king and he is dead set against evil. And so if you are on his side, then you need to give up all the evil in your life. And you need to fight all sin and everything that is wrong in the world and in yourself. But along with being, along with being a call to fight, the call to trumpets was often a call to worship. And so the festival of trumpets in part was about repenting, but it was also about rejoicing in the Lord. The Lord is the great king and the great warrior and the great physician, and He is the one. He is the one who knows what we need, and He is the one who gives it to us. In John 5, Jesus asked that question that seems tremendously rude and even a bit dumb. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be well? But Jesus, he's asking that question as part of a move to truly heal the man. He's asking that question to to help the man want and realize that he needs true healing. And only Jesus can provide that. Hanging out by the pool of Bethesda, while the man's been there for 38 years, he could be there another 38 and still not get what he really needs. But standing right there in front of him, Right there in front of him is Jesus Christ, the one who can give him all the healing he needs forever. Jesus knows exactly what that man needs and he is working to give it to him. And Jesus stands right in front of all of us too. And he knows what we need. And he's at work to give it to us. He intends to give us healing beyond beyond what we know or expect or even dream of. And Jesus can do that. Jesus can do that because he took on himself all of our suffering and all of our sin, and and he himself experienced the worst that this life can give. Jesus took your trouble, my trouble, all of our trouble. All of our sickness on Himself. And He did that even knowing that that we would turn away from Him, that we would deny what we need, still He took that burden upon Himself. So today, do we really want to be healed? Do we really want to be really well? It's what we need and deep, deep down it's what we want, but but it will cost us something. Not that we have to pay some price or be good enough to be saved, but that being saved means means that we have to give up some things. It means that we have to give up the identities that we've constructed to keep ourselves safe. It means that we have to give up some of the habits and life patterns that we'd really rather hold on to. Often we want to give God part of our lives, but we want to keep this corner over here for ourselves. And and true healing is not possible as long as we're doing that. The Lord heals us, but in that healing, well, we may have to give up things that we deeply, deeply value. But no matter what it costs us for Jesus to heal us, it, it costs Jesus more And Jesus always gives us more. And it's Jesus' work. And this is our last point for today. It's Jesus' work that enables us to really rest and rejoice. It's Jesus' healing of us that makes us able to celebrate, not because we're commanded to, but because we've been transformed. The festival of trumpets calls us into God's transformative work. The old sinful part of us keeps hanging on and and keeps promising us things it can't deliver, but but Jesus' work truly sets us free, truly brings us to where we want and need to be. The trumpets call us to rest from our sinning, and they also call us to rejoice in the real healing that the Lord has provided for us. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called *Great The Great Divorce, and in that book, and this is not a literal picture, okay? Do not take this literally at all, but in the book, A Great Divorce, Lewis gives this picture of a number of ghostly souls who are in hell, but who have the opportunity to visit heaven, and hell is this dreary, gray, dismal city that goes on and on, rainy, empty street after rainy, empty street of, of dullness. But these souls, these ghosts, have the opportunity to take a bus trip to heaven. So a group goes up to heaven, and heaven is like the best national park you can dream of. There are wonderful forests and lawn and beautiful animals and, and a waterfall, and, and it's amazing. But most of these ghosts, when they get there, they, they're given the opportunity to stay. And almost without exception, they all choose the dismal dreariness of hell over the joy of heaven. But there's one particular ghost. One particular ghost. And and when he shows up there, he has this nasty little red lizard on his shoulder. And this little red lizard keeps whispering in his ear all kinds of nasty suggestions. What about this? What about that? Let's go back and do this. That little lizard is a tempter. It's his besetting vice. It's the thing that he wants to let go of but can't. And the whole time he's there, this lizard keeps whispering. Let's go back. Let's go back. And the man is embarrassed by it, but he can't do anything about it. So he turns to get back on the bus to go back to hell. And then this burningly powerful, angelic, massive figure comes and says, Would you like me to make that lizard quiet? And the man says, Well, yeah, I would love that, but he he just won't stop. And the angel says, well, do you want him to be quiet? And the man says, yes. And the angel says, then I'll kill him, and reaches out to grab the lizard. And the man jumps back and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down here. That's kind of drastic. We don't need to do that. That's too far. Let's just do the gradual cure. And, And the angel says, the gradual cure will do no good. It's everything or nothing. It's the only way. And the two of them go back and forth and the man keeps hemming and hawing and, and he wants to be rid of this nasty creature but he can't bear the thought of life without it and the angel just keeps asking, "May I kill it?" Ba ba ba. "May I kill it?" Ba ba ba. "May I kill it?" Let me think. "May I kill it?" And Lewis doesn't use these particular words, but really what the angel is asking that man is, "Do you want to be healed?" do you want to be well? And finally, after a lot of back and forth, the man says, yes, yes. Get it over with, do what you want. God, help me, God, help me. And the angel grabs that nasty little lizard and the lizard is biting and writhing and trying to get away and the angel breaks its back and throws it on the ground. And at that moment, At the moment that his sin is finally done away with, that man goes from being a ghost to being a real person. At that moment, he grows and he fills in and he becomes a real person, almost as magnificent as the angel himself. And that lizard, that besetting vice, that trouble that kept saying, let's go back, let's go back. That lizard... Is resurrected and it becomes a great horse, a huge horse like you would never see on earth. And the man leaps, the risen man leaps on that transformed animal, and they ride off together deeper and deeper into the landscape of heaven, closer and closer to the Lord. The healing was more than the man thought he could stand. Giving up that vice, giving up that part of his life that he was holding on to that was so much a part of his identity, he thought it would kill him. But it was only through letting it go, only through submitting to the work of a greater physician, that he could find true freedom. Our own healing is costly. It cost Jesus his life. Our healing did kill Jesus. And there are parts of our lives that we will have to lose. Parts of our lives that we will have to give up. Things that we would rather hold on to. Things that we would love to smuggle into heaven itself if only we could. But we need to give them up. We need to give them up. And in God's providence, often those besetting sins, those vices, those things that drag us down. When when we let him work on them, he turns them around and our vices can become our virtues. Our evils can give us the opportunity to do good in a way that maybe someone else couldn't because they haven't walked through the particular valleys that we have walked through. Part of ourselves need to die in order for us to really live. And Jesus will not leave any nasty little bit of your life alone. If you come to Jesus, he requires everything. The Christian faith offers no safety for our sins. There is no compromise, no no little bit of our lives that we get to keep free of Christ's influence. But the Christian faith, Jesus Christ, gives us salvation, true healing, life now and life forever. The festival of trumpets sounds a radical call. It calls us to repent, to turn around, to to lay aside our very identity. But the festival of trumpets also calls us to a gift like no other, to a gift of resting and rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ because the Lord is King, because the Lord is our Savior, because the Lord is our great physician and our healer. So today, hear the call of the trumpet. Hear the call to lay down the parts of your life that do not fit with God's will. And hear the call, too, to rejoice, to find true healing and transformation in Jesus Christ, our physician, our Lord, our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have provided for your people we thank you for how you provided in the Old Testament for your people to have ways ways to lay aside their sin and come to you and we thank you how even the Old Testament has always called God's people and continues to call us today to look to Christ to see how Christ heals us to see how Christ makes us whole But Father, we confess today that all of us have parts of our lives that that we don't want you in. All of us have parts of our lives that we want desperately to get rid of, but also want even more desperately to hold on to. Father, we pray that you give us the strength to let you work how you need to work in each of our lives. We pray that you give us hearts of repentance and and the ability to be steadfast in pursuing your will for us. And Father, we thank you that we do not do this on our own, but we do it through the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray that you sound the trumpet in each of our lives to draw us to you now. And we pray, too, that when the final trumpet sounds, that you draw us to be in your presence, living perfect, fulfilled, holy lives with you forever. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.